Epiphany Fellowships podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Oh, that's weak. How many of you know Jesus? Been better than good to you. If I was in the old church, I'd say he's been better than me than I've been to myself. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to be back. My family and I probably had one of the best sabbaticals we've ever had. It was very restful and replenishing. And so thankful for the time off. And now we're ready to get it. As you know, um, four of the things that we wanted to accomplish this year and focus on it, we'll be focusing on this going into our next season is somebody say equipping edification simplicity and faithfulness those are kind of like four things that we have been strategically focusing on in this season and one of the applications of that has been us getting together and having these get-togethers whether it's on a rooftop whether it's here at the building or whether it's a movie now how many of you have been enjoying those times of reconnecting and coming together Amen. Yeah. And so we're going to be doing that, of course, uh, this Friday, the 19th, with the Unspoken Documentary, as Pastor Mark talked about earlier. We'll have food. We'll have uh, non-alcoholic drinks. Because I know when I say drinks, somebody say drinks um, at, at the building. Amen. Um, and it's going to be a great documentary. People will be uh, from here and probably over the region coming through, and we'll have a curated dialogue during that particular time. And it's going to be wonderful. We want you to show up. So go to the Church Center app and sign up ASAP while there's spots here and while there's spots left. Let's uh, fill this place and enjoy fellowshipping with one another, talking through some issues that the church needs to think about. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's go ahead and turn with me over to Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20. Matthew the 16th chapter verses 13 through 20. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. on a new series called The Rebrand. Somebody say The Rebrand. Oh, y'all can do better than that. The Rebrand. This series, the purpose of this series will be uh, to help the church to remember who 
we are in order that we may represent the church in a healthy way to culture to see lives transformed, changed, and delivered. Amen? Amen. Uh, today I want to talk about what do you think of when you hear the word church? What do you think of when you hear the word church? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you um, that we are who you've called us to be, but we have to walk in it. And we're not redefining church. We are refining church. And so, God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, as we get refined, hopefully during the course of this series, that you would show yourself strong in your people and redevelop a healthy image of church in the church and in culture. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. What do you think of when you hear the word church? Let me ask you a question. You can... You can shout some answers back at me. <clears throat> um, when you hear the word basketball, what comes to mind? Kobe, okay. Court, Jordan, AI, okay. Cool, cool, cool. When you, when you hear the word Philadelphia, what comes to mind? Cheese steaks, pretzels, water ice, what else? What'd you say? Okay, home, okay. When you hear the word New York, what do you think of? Pizza. Frog legs? Okay. Statue of Liberty? Okay. Okay. Um, uh, uh, so, so when you hear BMW, what, what comes to mind? Black excellence. Okay. Somebody said black excellence. Okay. <laughs> but what's interesting enough, what do you think of when you hear of the word church? Don't even answer. That's important because that is a major thing that we need to work through today. It's how the culture views us. If you mention the word church, like when, I, when we first started the Plant and Epiphany Fellowship and I would go to the corner store, I would go around the community, I would never introduce myself as a pastor because I knew I had to earn respect after that. I knew I had more respect just presenting myself as a human being than I did a pastor. Because as soon as I said I was a pastor, you should see the, the, the atmosphere changed. Um, when you talk about church, the atmosphere changed. And I believe that there are a ton of reasons for that, some of which are our fault. But, but, but I want us to begin thinking about why is the church more of a byword in culture, right? And, and why that needs to be changed and why it's extremely important. When, you, when most people think of church, they think of hypocrites, fake, phony, selfish, out of touch, unloving, judgmental, absent, selfish, you name it. I believe that three things are happening, though. I, I do. I, I want y'all, y'all tracking with me? I, I believe three things are happening. At times, the church has failed to be good witnesses. We have. We, we've at times failed to be good witnesses. Um, you, you, you know, it, 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 if one of us did it, all of us did it. You know how it is. Um, and so we, we, we haven't always been good with Number two... People take their bad experiences and magnify them into all of us, okay? There is a concerted effort, though, I believe, by the enemy to discredit 
the witness of the church in the world. Why is that important for, 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 for him to do? Because his seed was supposed to be against Eve's seed, and there was supposed to be enmity against those seed. We are the seed of Eve. He is the, uh, uh, the anyone that's not saved is the seed of Satan. What Satan hates is disciples being made. What is a disciple? Somebody that looks like Jesus. So he doesn't want people's lives transformed. He doesn't want their lives changed. He doesn't want their thinking to be regulated. He doesn't want their morality to grow. He doesn't want them to be, he doesn't want that. So what he has to do is he hates God so much is that he has to break the mirror that reflects him. And um, as we look at this, I do believe, I'm not speaking prophetically, you know, don't say, Pastor, I'm not saying, right now I sense, right now God is about to not, but I do have a sense of this, a very strong sense of it, and I even see it. Local church member pruning across the nation. It's, I, 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 and I believe it's necessary. I believe God is tired of the misrepresentation of his name in America. So what he's going to start doing is he's going to start pruning people. He said, I'm sick. All you do is gossip. You're gone. All you do is, you're not even saved. You're gone. He's going to start pruning people, and he's already started doing it. I believe he used the pandemic for much of that. Next, he's going to do some leadership pruning. He's tired of pulpit foolishness. Many of our pulpits are filled, are really just self-help platforms for people to have their personal purpose promoted versus the propagation of the proclamation of God's truth. No Bible open ever. All it is, every reel I see on Instagram that people are sharing and liking is just about your personal, your personal life and your personal needs and your hurt that you went through. And I know that there's some personal things that need to be dealt with. I know that there's some, but, but the church is bigger than you. And God has us in this place. He has us in this place for a reason. And so I believe he's going to start pruning leaders. There is great need for a leadership pruning. Faulty leaders doing what they want to do. But last but not least, and this is scarier than both of the first two, but necessary. The lampstands of churches fully removed from existence. There's some churches that God is just going to shut down. He just said, you fight pastors too much, you're done. You ain't seen a, you ain't baptized nobody in 30 years, you're done. You haven't seen any transformation, you're done. God want, but, but, but God is doing this with a purpose. He's not just taking members out of existence and pastors out of existence and churches out of existence. What he's doing is he's doing a comprehensive purging in order that he may take his remnants to go out in the world and do what it was called to do in the first place. But some, these are some concerns I have for the remnant, though. I have some concerns for the remnant. Number one, church has become non-communal. Very non-communal now, because through the pandemic, people have been able to feel okay with watching as an option and it not be COVID anymore. Watching has become a communal option. And the people not saying, I'm not there because they got COVID or they're scared. They're just not coming because it's no longer. I remember if I didn't go to church for three weeks, I don't know about you, but there were times as a member of a church, if I didn't go for three weeks, I felt off and weird 
and just stuff wasn't aligned, but some, somehow I know this ain't the house of God. I know we together the house. But when I walked into the house of the Lord, I don't know what it was when the singing started going and the communion started going and people started shouting and the preacher got to preaching and we locked hands and we had, you, you remember the prayer across the aisle and you would have the prayer and every, and it would be a deacon would get up to the sub podium and begin to call on God. Something was different. Remind me of when Daryl called it, when Sunday comes, my troubles go. <laughs> I got I to gotta move. We, we, we shouldn't be there yet. <laughs> Being locally and physically connected no longer seems to be a need. Christians don't see their lives as a part of God's larger purpose in the world. The pandemic, in a good way, helped people to seek what they've wanted to always do, the bad thing, it wasn't Jesus. You started a business, but where's Jesus? You went back and got another degree, but where's Jesus? I'm not saying don't do none of those good things. I'm just saying don't forget about him. See God's purpose in their lives personally only. The church is something to joke about versus respect. Bad churches and leaders are treated as the norm. It's interesting that in the Nicene documentation, when they talked about what the church was, and, and when we talk about repre, re, uh, representing the church or rebranding the church, what we're talking about, we're talking about rebranding. We're not talking, listen, we're not talking about uh, um, creating something new. We're just trying to get back to and refine what already is supposed to exist. The Nicene document said the doctrine describes the particular characteristics of a Christian church that distinguish it from any other human assembly or institution, the church is described in the Nicene Creed as composed in the fourth century as a summary of the biblical teaching as being one, holy, universal, and apostolic. In other words, the church is one. We're unified. It's universal, all people. Holy is supposed to live different, and it's supposed to look different. Amen, somebody. And it's supposed to be apostolic. It is supposed to be moving into the world and transforming things. So we come to this Sequana passage that you probably heard before, but we need to represent it. We need to rebrand and we need to get back down to this. So I got two points and I'm out your way. Number one, the church must be clear on who Jesus is. The church must be clear on who Jesus is. Verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's funny he says Son of Man, telling you who he is while he's asking the question. <laughs> because they, if they've, they've heard Daniel 7 and they've heard Daniel 9, so, so, so he kind of swaggaliciously asking the question. Uh, but, 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 but there are three things that you can assume that are embedded in his question if you look at the text. Number one, that Christians are in culture. Why? He said, who do people out there say that I am? In other words, Christians aren't supposed to be cooped up with each other. We're supposed to be creating change in culture. It assumes that we're out there. Number two, it also assumes that Jesus is being talked about. You know he's being talked about. Even if they're swearing they're talking about him. Y'all know what I mean. <laughs> Lastly, 
He assumes that Christians are listening. He said, who are they saying I am? Why, why is he asking? Because he wants us listening. Now, it's interesting. We'll come back to this in a second. He's, he's asking the church. He's asking his disciples who he is, not in Jerusalem, but while he's in Gentile territory. This is going to pay dividends exegetically if you just stay with me for a little while for us to understand uh, 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 what's going on here. He, and he said, who, who, do they say, who do they say I am? And he's asking them this question. But in verse 14, they replied, some, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It's interesting. These are admirable mentions, if you will. But these admirable missions are still below who he is. Y'all ain't talking to me. I, 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 know, I, I know out here, you know, most times people like saying, when you ask them, when you think of Jesus, what do you think? I think of a good man. Yeah, partially. Uh-huh, holy, 100% man, right? Good example. They'll say prophet. They'll say revolutionary, you know, according to their picture of who they want Jesus to be. They, they kind of reduce him and distill him down to this one particular characteristic. Countercultural. They, they like the Jesus in the temple revolutionary. When they, when they got political issues, they want the kicking over the temple Jesus. You, you know, you know, they, they, that's the one they want, you know. And then when they want some mercy, they just say, he's just love. But they don't recognize God's view of love as a little bit more comprehensive. Because God's love is the love that'll tell you off. See, see, we don't need the kind of love that just cuddles and cushions us. We need that love that if we lost our ever-loving mind, that somebody, some way, shape, or form, will come back and get my crazy self and bring me back to my center. I don't know about you, but I need that kind of love. I need that kind of love when I want to go smoke some weed or do some crack, that God gonna come get me. I want that kind of love that when I want to leave my family, gonna come get me. I need that kind of love. Woo! I need that kind of love that when I want to run, it won't let me. That's God's love. That's love. And so who do men say that I am? You know, in culture, they done got savvy now because they got, they got some, some the, that Jesus is Horus and he's Zoroaster and Krishna and Buddha, uh, Tammuz and Addis and Serapis and Dionysus and Mithra and Osiris. People are like, what? Yeah. Saying he's copies of something, right? But, it's, it's, you know, people always think they got truth. You know, it, it reminds me when I was little growing up in the hood. We didn't have no basketball courts, really, because they would tear them down, pull the nets off. I don't know, y'all don't know nothing about that in North Philly, right? Um, but what we used to do, we'd play something called throw-up tackle. Now, throw-up tackle is you, everybody at lunchtime would get their rentals wrapped together, and we would smash it down real hard and make a football. That was a big thing in D.C. We played throw-up tackle. Now, throw-up tackle, though, there are no teams. It's like 10, 20 people in the field, and you throw the ball up, and whoever catch it, everybody get, runs after them to tackle them. That's called throw up tackle. But what I hate about hood games, no matter what you play, basketball, football, people always changing the rules in the middle of the game. I mean, it'd be the middle of the game, I'm like, that ain't even a rule. We playing basketball, that's the three-point line. We playing by twos. It's like, what? 
We play by ones. We play at 33. We play at 21. It would drive me crazy. In other, wo- in other words, we- we- we're trying to organize something, but there's constantly changing things in the midst of the game. And that's what this culture does. It, it's, it changes the definition. It plays throw up truths. What's the play? Throw up truth because you can throw and create your rules. Well, let me tell you something. God makes the rules. God makes them and you can change them. You can legislate them. But his word is standing firm in the heavens. It will never come back void. So you can have your bootleg elections. But he's going to come back snatching diadems back. And drawing in his sovereign authority once again. Oh, I got I to gotta keep moving. Verse 16. Peter says, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Now, you, you got to, let me explain something to you. Many times people, when we trust Jesus Christ, it's a revelation at that moment, but that doesn't mean you know everything about Jesus. So what ends up happening, an undiscipled person that may get saved can't come to understand fully who Jesus says, but I'm telling you right now, let me, let, me, let me tell you something right now. This takes supernatural, listen, let me break this down. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father. Let me explain something to you how supernatural it has to be to believe. You can do all the apologetics you want. You can give people historical documents. You, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to believe. Now, let me tell you how crazy this is. We have a weird faith. Now, y'all may not think that, but when I start saying this, you're going to say, that's true, but I believe it. God became human. Doesn't make sense. And Amen. He grew up and was perfect. Hold on, a perfect human being, never sinned, never stubbed his toe and said an explicative, nothing. Did miracles. I mean, okay, y'all looking at me funny. We believe that when Peter cut off the guy's ear, that his piece of his ear was on the ground, Jesus told him, my kingdom is not of this world, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, touched his ear, it grew back with a piece still on the ground. We believe that a demon-possessed woman came up to him and he healed her. We believe a demon-possessed man had lesions. We are lesions for women. And he healed him. We believe that he told a man, take up your powder and walk. The, one of the craziest ones is this. We believe that he went late to a funeral, <laughs> told them, roll a stone away, and said, now, he had to say the person's name. Because if he would have said, come forth, everybody would have got about that grave. They said, what you say, Jesus? I'm coming about this grave. What you say? But guess what? It said, Lazarus, come forth. And then a man that had been embalmed and put into a tomb came out with his wrappings on back alive. Y'all looking at me crazy. You believe that he died on a cross and that count for our sins. Went in the grave three days. Early Sunday morning, his spirit went back into his body, changed his body. He went through the, he came through the wrappers, folded them up, stone rolled away, walked out. Then he ascends to heaven on a cloud, surfing 
and then gets off of it and sits down at the right hand of God the Father and is coming back. <laughs> that takes, that takes supernatural revelation to believe that. That's what it takes. And so that's why Jesus said, you didn't just come up with this. I'm not a created being, but, but then he gets to the good stuff. <clears throat> once, he, once you're clear on who he is, you have to do something about it. Which brings me to my second point. The church must see itself as a beacon of God's spiritual authority on earth. The church must see itself as a beacon of God's authority on earth. Look, look, at, look at verse 18. It says, and I also say that you are Petra's rock. And on this Petra rock, I will build my church, listen, and the gates of hell will not, Hades will not overpower it. This is interesting. There's a lot being said here. So many people believe because the you are is singular. And on this rock, I will build my trust. And then later he says, if they believe this is singular to Peter. And so the Catholic church will begin to say that there's apostolic succession. So now the Pope is the Peter for today. So he gets to set the doctrine for the church, blah, blah, blah. Then you got the Protestant church saying it is the church. And some people say it's Christ. Well, I believe that there's something interesting here. Remember I told you that he was in Caesarea Philippi, not Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about both natural and cosmic geography, he was in Gentile territory, natural geography. But the spiritual geography of that day and in that place had deep spiritual roots to where the sons of God fell. <laughs> And not only that, it's where Pan was currently being worshipped. It would have been natural for him to go on the mountain in Jerusalem at the highest pinnacle where Satan took him during his temptation and say from there, upon this rock I will build my church. No, he didn't do it in Jerusalem. He did it in Caesarea Philippi. He did it in a place where most of the spiritual warfare is embedded culturally that spreads through that region and a lot of falls happen. He did it where idol worship happen and what he was saying is upon this rock in this place where worship has taken place and false things have happened in other words I don't want you to plant where it's safe I don't want to put you where we're I'm, I'm sending you into territory that really belongs to me but I'm going to plant you there so that you can show them that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof How do I know that? Why would he say in the gates? It was believed that in, in their mystical culture that hell's gates were in Caesarea Philippi. And what's interesting is he's playing on their understanding of that to let them know is that the church was anointed to deal with hard stuff. It was anointed to not avoid difficulty, but to go straight into it by faith knowing that God can change anything. That's who we are. We're people who don't look at how hard it is in culture. We say, 
God can do something about that. Is anything too hard for God? He's more than a world again. We're more than conquerors through him who loved. You, be, you Listen, we are a community of faith. We believe that we can change lives of people who have experienced hate, rape, drugs, corporate crime, systemic racism, drug addiction, depression, hurt, pain, and grief. We can engage all of it and challenge and transform so many things. But it's interesting, Jesus says, my church. Because the word ecclesia is a general term, but when he says mine, he says you're a specific group of assembled ones who are assembled for my purpose and are called out for my own purposes. When we talk about the church, that's what we're talking about. And so in light of that reality, he says the gates of Hades, I love this, will not overpower it. Now before he says that, he begins when he says my church, this is so important, because when he says my church, points to the fact that every church don't function like one. I mean, it's nothing worse than somebody advertising what they don't have. Okay, let me see if I make it plain. This is a spot in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, I like to patronize different spots in the neighborhood. I went to the seafood spot. Brand new grand opening. I ain't gonna tell you which one. There's a lot of them, so. Don't go searching Yelp. But I went on this grand opening time, and I went in. I was hungry. Hungry. Hot day. Thirsty. I said, let me get the shrimp. We don't have that. Let me get the scallops. We don't have that. Let me, let me get um, 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 the seafood salad. We don't have that. What y'all got? What do you have? Help me. We got chicken and a fish. I just, I, I was confused. I looked at the menu and then I walked out and looked at the sign and thought they needed to change the name to the chicken and fish hut because they doggone sure don't have no seafood. Why would you tell me you had seafood and open up like you got seafood and you ain't got it? Well, there's some churches that advertise that they love Jesus. There's some churches that advertise that they want to do some healing. There's some churches that advertise that they want some peace. And when I look in the, when I look in the menu, there's some things that the church is supposed to be. Blessed are the peacemakers. But all I see in here is peace fakers. When I... Now, he said, my church... And he says, Satan's kingdom won't overpower it. It means, it means, and this is a better, way better translation of that. It means momentum. It means we have a momentum of movement. That as long as we're moving forward, we can't be overpowered. It reminds me of X-Men, one of my favorite Marvel groups, teams. And one of their enemies is Juggernaut. And when Juggernaut puts on his armor, uh-oh, and he starts going in a particular direction, he begins to develop a momentum and stuff starts shaking. He just starts coming through. He can knock down walls, steel. Nothing can stop him when he gets his momentum. But if he takes his armor off, he doesn't have that power anymore. But when he puts the armor on and he begins to run his momentum, nothing can stop him. That's what the church is like. The church is God's juggernaut. And we got to get our momentum back. Got to walk in it. 
We got to stop believers succumbing to resistance. Because of the way the church is branded, most of us don't share the gospel anymore. <clears throat> because we believe the church has such a bad reputation that there's a lot of pre-work we have to do to live a certain way and to prove we're not what they think we are branded as in order to share the gospel. But some of us don't want to share it anyway because we're cowards. Our lamps are off. We don't have a Christian worldview. We don't think like Jesus at all. All of our decisions are made on our whims. But we're supposed to remember who we are, whose we are, and what's our purpose. And he says next, he says, I will give you keys. I like that. Now, Jesus is the key, but he breaks them up into keys like that. It's like the old deacon that used to have a keys on his hip. The old maintenance man in the chair. Y'all don't know nothing about that. And he pulled the key, have it on that bungee string, and he got a key to everything. What Jesus, when he died, gave Peter keys, the disciples keys, then he gave keys to the church. And what keys are meant to do is to unlock something. But the question is, what is he unlocking? And some of these keys, it points back to David's time where uh, a guy had keys. But this key now that Jesus is talking about is unlocking different things that he wants us by his promises to unlock. Number one, the gospel is a key so that we can unlock souls. The name of Jesus is a key to unlock obstacles. Spiritual weapons are keys, is a key to unlock spiritual power. Spiritual gifts is a key to unlock growth. Uh, a, a spiritual governments, governance is a key to unlock order in the church. And the promises of God are keys to unlock resources from God. The church, we got, we, we got the, like the song said, we got the major keys, baby. Huh? We got the key, you feel me? We got keys up in this joint to open up some stuff, to unlock some doors that the enemy has locked out. He's locked us out of some stuff. And God is saying, now is the time for my remnant to stand up and to open its keys. But you got to be here. You got to be around. You got to be engaged. We're seeing beautiful things. Coach G was just telling me earlier that they have 300 kids signed up for the boxing league. And God grew that during the pandemic. After school, brought so many things, keys. But there are more things that God wants us to accomplish for his glory that we have to invest in, that we have to be here for. You have to, we have to stop acting like pandemic Christians. It's time to get back on mission. If you're here just for you, you're at the wrong church. Because we want to be here for you but we also want you to be here for something. Y'all ain't saying nothing right there. It's time for us to awaken people of God. It's time to just stop watching online every week. Hey, no, you, you don't have COVID. You're not sick. There's nothing wrong with you. You just saw staying home as an option. I love you though. Come see you, boy. Come see you at 9 a.m., 11 a.m. Amen. I heard about the line of people serving. They, they got up for serve the other week. That's what we need to happen. It's time for us to stop claiming. You play a role in how the church is branded. 
So you can't be every time the church, man, I know church folk ain't nothing. Well, where you at? Come change something, little complaining self. Come change a life, make a disciple, sweep a floor. Come to a class, take a note. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Go on a trip, build some relationships, help some people that's hurting. Maybe that'll help somebody. Maybe the church will be rebranded. Maybe people will be different. Maybe you might be different. We got major keys. I'm shutting it down. It reminds me, our keys to supernaturally override stuff reminds me, I don't know why my kids always telling me, green light, daddy. It's a green light. It drives me crazy. Green light time. Green, it's green light. All, all of them. I'm like, okay. But one day, they said green light, and I kept sitting there. And my daughter was like, Daddy, go. It's green light. I said, no. You hear the siren? And the police and the ambulance went through. My daughter was confused. She said, Dad, why on green you stopped, but they had red and they could go. I said, well, baby, I got, I, I, I got a shine on now when I said it to her, too. I said, hey, God. Uh. I said, yeah, daddy, hey, 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 oh. I said, baby, when their sirens come on and they turn on their lights, my Lord, uh, everybody around them have to stop. Uh-huh. Because they've been endowed with authority. That even though the light is red, they are endowed with authority to move through the light. Yeah, Lord. And they can go about the law because they've been given authority to override the natural law for a supernatural law. How many of you know that we have been given authority to override the natural law with the keys that God has given us for a supernatural law. But in order for that to happen, you got to know who he is. If I was at my old church, I'd say he's Abraham's redeemer. He's Abel's vindicator. He's Abraham's sacrifice. He's Noah's ark. He's Moses' bush on fire. He's Joshua's battle axe. He's Rahab's red cord. He's Gideon's fleece. He's Samson's strength. He's David's music. Do you know him? He's Samson's wisdom. He's Isaiah's burning coal. He's Jeremiah's bomb of Gilead. He's Ezekiel's wheel in the middle of a wheel. He's Job's horse pouring in the valley. Maybe that didn't get you. He's waymaker, mind regulator, heart fixer, lawyer in the courtroom, doctor in the sick room. Jesus. Listen, we got keys to pull people out of spiritual bondage, keeping marriages from being destroyed, singles from giving up, generations sins ending, demons and spirits broken, destroying strongholds, the seemingly unsavable getting saved, healing church hurt, and pursuing peace. He's able and willing to help us to be who we are supposed to be. And so I pray 
that during this series, we are reignited for a gospel purpose. We're here for a reason. 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 Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus. He's waiting for you. He's here with arms stretched wide. He died on the cross for you and got up from the grave. If you're here today and you want to place your trust in Jesus and go from spiritually being disconnected from him to being connected to God through him, hold your hand up. We'd love to pray with you. Anyone is saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. In the balcony on the floor, I see that hand up in the balcony. Anybody else? I see that hand. Someone, someone's coming your way now. Anybody else? Hold your hand up or stand if that's you. Anyone else want to place their confidence in Jesus? Hold your hand up in the air. Yes. Anyone else? I see a hand right here as well. There's one in the balcony, one on the floor. There's another one. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Anybody else? Just hold your hand up. Just hold your hand up. Amen. Well, heaven is rejoicing now. Heaven is rejoicing now. If heaven rejoiced, we should rejoice. Amen. Amen. Well, let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. If you were missed in coming in and didn't get communion and you want to partake of the elements, hold your hand up so our team can get the elements to you. Anyone else? Hold your hand up so if, they, if you want the elements, they can get them in the balcony or on the floor. Amen. Well, let's stand together. You can open it up. Communion, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In doing that, Jesus wanted us to remember who he is. And never forget him. That's really the simple reason why we have communion. To remember him. And one of the parts he wants us to remember is his entire body. What was done for us on the cross. To never forget it. Let us eat together. He also 
wanted us to partake in his blood. Blood is what makes us family. <laughs> this is what makes us family. We have the same eternal blood type because we're washed in his blood. <laughs> so no matter what your tax bracket is, no matter what your ethnicity is, if we know Jesus, we're family. Let us drink together. Master of the universe. We are, it's time for us to be who you've called us to be. Lord, help your remnant to be faithful. Help me to be faithful. Help these leaders to be faithful. Help this church to be faithful. Help us to stand together and reconnect and be a biblical community and do apostolic work to change the world. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And everybody agree with that said? Amen. God bless you. Take care. Much love, much love, much love. God bless you. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.